Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, it's episode 186. Today is November 19th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today, as always, by Mr. Blake Arnstorff. Well, not always, but today well, you as are ever. joined as ever. <laughs> as, as as most ever. of the time doesn't quite ring off the the tongue as as well as as always. But every, uh, every now and again he comes to the show. Every every oh, now man. and then, <laughs> you know what we got? I, I'm really happy with our new story this week. Um, we're going to be taking a question from the community that I'm also very uh, excited about talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the HFES applauding Boeing and the FAA for resolving the 737 MAX uh, human factors design flaws. That's uh, a big thing. We haven't really talked about that on the show all that much. So I'm excited to dig into it um, now that there's a resolution. Uh, just a quick... A quick programming note for looking ahead for the next couple weeks here. Next week we'll be off because it's Thanksgiving here in the States. Uh, so uh, Blake and I are going to enjoy uh, time off uh, with our families. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to keep it local. We're not going to spread that virus. You should all do the same. Because <laughs> we're not allowed. Was- I'm not allowed to go anywhere in San Diego. <laughs> Have you seen that thing that's been going around that's making a way around the web? It's uh, it's uh, what is it? A is this one of the memes socially, them kids are doing? Yeah, it's a socially distant Thanksgiving is better than an ICU Christmas or something. And, and uh, <laughs> that's awful. So anyway, yeah, just just keep that in mind as uh, you know <laughs> as you're making plans for this year. Um, so yeah, we're gonna take off next week, and then we'll be back in December for three episodes, uh, and then we'll be taking a couple weeks off uh, over the holidays. So uh, Blake, what's uh, what's been going on in your world though? Oh man, not not the best experience over the weekend. So this has not happened to Uh-oh. me in a long time. Uh, but my, so like my uh, for those who don't know, like or those who don't make it to the end of the show, I have like a handle that I use called at Don't Panic UX, which actually is like my my side business and stuff like that. Uh, so I have domains and accounts that are all associated with that name. And unfortunately I made the crude mistake of using a similar password across all of my accounts. So all no. of my stuff was hacked, uh, which thankfully, I mean, Google caught it, which is really where everything's connected for me anyway, as a central hub. And I use like two factor authentication, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but it, 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 it then came to my attention, like, okay, across, all the other things in my personal life, do I use a similar password and should I just change everything? Cause I'm one of those paranoid people anyway. The answer is yes. Yeah. So I, I went around doing that and it, it is increasingly frustrating how unsimple changing even a password or, in, or enabling two factor authentication can be. And I was, I was really surprised cause a lot of that has to do with like my financial institutions. Um, and it, was, it's just been a hard process as it was to like think of all the accounts that I have passwords for and should update and that were, of so, course, what linked to money or anything like that. So I am so glad you brought this up um, because about a year and a half ago, I started using the LastPass password manager. Um, and this is a plug for password managers. If you haven't used it, Blake, if you'd like, I can sit down with you after the show and set it up for you. Um, because what this does is it takes away all that painful, uh, all those pain points that you just described, right? Trying to think of a password that you haven't used anywhere else. It will randomly generate one. It will save it in its bank. 
and it's locked behind a master password. So you have to know the master password. And if the master password is compromised, then you just change the master password. And there's a couple different ways that you can get into your account if you get locked out. Um, but it'll also run these really cool sort of uh, security um, refreshers. It's, it's like, a, you know, hey, we noticed you haven't changed this password for this website in about five years. You should probably change that. Um, it'll also let you know when your passwords are compromised and it'll say, hey, this one's compromised. It'll also say, hey, you use the same password across these different websites. You should probably change them all. Um, wow, that's pretty So sweet. it has those... It has those really cool analysis tools. So I highly recommend anyone, um, you know, I, LastPass is what I use, but you can use any password manager. A lot of them have it. Um, but I like LastPass because it has that kind of security checkup uh, that, that can kind of let you know, um, hey, this <laughs> you need to fix this. Um, so, uh, yeah, friendly reminder to get a password manager. And seriously, Blake, if you want, let's talk after the show and we'll. That might be the way to go, yeah, Yeah. because one other frustrating bit for it was I use a lot of kind of automation for financial investing and saving and all that kind of stuff so that whenever I'm paid through any of my various number of jobs, it's kind of like split in a bunch of different ways, but actually by entering and setting up two-factor authentication between all of my accounts, it stops the ability to do some of that automation anymore. So something like a last last pass as a password manager might be a nice solution for some of that stuff too. Yeah, and it's very secure. You can what I usually do is um, when it when I asks me for a password, I'll I'll put in a couple like a like a couple paragraphs to see what the limit is, and then I'll usually there's a slider on LastPass. You can say I want this X characters long, and I always go to the max, right? Yeah. It's going to be harder to guess. So you always set it to the max. It's the most uh, you know crazy password. The only place where this really breaks down is in instances where you cannot um, like copy and paste because I've had instances where like I'm trying to log into GeForce now, which is a uh, game streaming. Thing. it'll ask you to sign into your account uh and you know each time i have to manually put in a password that was generated by a password generator so it's like caps x lowercase c uppercase z exclamation point hashtag you know and it's yeah. like where am i in this process and it's like you know 500 characters long or whatever so it's really secure no one's going to get in there but again i have to do that when i you know and i can't copy and paste in that situation so it's gotcha there are sometimes where it breaks down where you might want to use easier to do passwords and it'll give you those options right like only use whole words and it'll say like chicken camera man person camera tv right it'll do that and and you can put that in and uh it'll you know you're at least able to it's english so you can just put it in because you yeah, know you it. could feasibly um, do it and then read it back right. to yourself exactly so there are different options so yeah highly recommend uh a password manager Absolutely. That sounds like a, the way to fly, man. But what's yeah. been going on with you in your world? Oh, man. I could talk about anything here. Um, I There's a lot. Um, I guess I'll start. I have three things down. I'll just start with this first one. Uh, C-SPAN video controls are, are awesome. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> we'll actually talk about this a little bit later on the show, uh, why I was on C-SPAN. But um, the C-SPAN video controls allow you to clip things and it has like bookmarks on the website if you make an account with them you can actually save these clips to your personal um thing it's very user friendly and i it's something surprising because when you think about government websites you don't typically think user friendly 
<laughs> so it was it was just kind of shocking to me. So I just wanted to say, everyone, if you're if you're thinking about uh, looking at videos of government hearings, go to C-SPAN. It's great video tools. They have like everything you need right there. Um, a nice end user experience. Yeah, uh, I still can't get a PlayStation Five, and I think the whole experience around trying to get one has been messed up from retailers like have you heard about you know walmart and amazon releasing these things in waves where they kind of continue continuously um i i think it's predatory in a way where they're like continuously trying to get people's hopes up and they'll like release a couple consoles now they'll release another con- couple consoles in three hours and they're like they send them out in waves really um, so yeah, it's definitely it's Some, definitely it's like a predatory. dark pattern of like or that's like dark pattern marketing almost. It's gotta be right because it yeah. drives people to their website every three hours. Um, it just it's like no, just sell them and be done. It, there's no. Why reason. is it so insane? It's just because it's like holiday time and this thing's just really released in the past month. So highly anticipated. I don't know, man. I can't I can't explain it. They they did. Uh, I read something where they were like produced as many um ps5s as they sold in the first year and a half of ps4s oh. so and and they're already all sold out so i don't know um you know we'll have to see i'm hoping to at least get one sometime in january for my birthday or you know whatever if i can't then whatever i can't but um i guess i'll jump in a little later but speaking of video games this is my third point on here stadia is killing it I know yes, <laughs> and for for what reasons are they killing it, Nicholas? So, <laughs> there's a couple things going on here, and I feel like a Google shill every time I bring up Stadia and how <laughs> excited I am with it, and understand that I'm just excited about uh, game streaming, and that um, I'm excited for other people to try it too. Um, but what they've done is they've kind of broken down that last barrier of cost. So, if you are a YouTube Premium subscriber. And if you have done, uh, if you've had YouTube Premium before, I think November sixth or something, uh, you're eligible for a free Stadia starter kit. Basically, that has a controller and a Chromecast Ultra. Um, Smart move on their part. So that's incredibly generous. That, that I paid 130 for mine. Um, you know, I was a founder, so I get extra stuff, but that's fine. But like, you know, that's awesome that people who already subscribe to their ecosystem are now getting that for free. And there's a lot of speculation that this is them kind of dumping out the Gen 1 stuff, and now they're going to bring in uh, the Chromecast with Google TV um, and bring that in as the new Chromecast once that hardware supports it, which it doesn't currently, which is why I have it sitting on my desk instead of (laughs) actually plugged into my TV. But um, so that's one thing they're doing. They also, uh, today is their actual one-year anniversary, so happy anniversary, uh, happy birthday, Stadia. Um, So the... uh, the other thing that they're doing is they just announced today that, uh, well, Destiny is going to be free to play completely. So even if you don't pay to play, you can still play it. And that's huge because it's removing. Yeah, it's like a top tier game to be free to play. It's Well, it's been free to play. Uh, the expansions cost, but but the actual game itself. So this is finally removing that barrier of like having to subscribe to their service to play it. It's completely free now, even if you don't subscribe to their service. So this is truly a, a first test where people can just jump in and play something and try it and see how good it is, and then they can go for it. So that's another barrier removed. Furthermore, hey, are you interested in Cyberpunk 2077? <laughs> <laughs> if you're excited about Cyberpunk 2077, you might want to get it on Stadia. This is perhaps the most insane thing, because what they did is they are now offering that starter kit that I mentioned at the top. 
uh, they are offering that with any pre-order. So you get the game and you get everything you need to play with it. So like to me, this is by far the most value you can get for next gen consoles. Um, and you know, once they upgrade their blades, it's going to be even better, right? The, the stuff is going to run even better and you won't even know it upgraded. Um, and I mean, you might, if there's graphical fidelity improvements, but like you're always going to be playing on the best software hardware and, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. So they're they're killing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, because you you're literally never gonna have to worry about if a console is sold out, if a game is sold out. You right. do this once, and it's it's on the internet. If your internet yeah. goes out, then you're toast. But other than that, you're doing good. Yeah, and so anyone can get this Cyberpunk uh, pre-order. Unfortunately, we don't have any affiliate links, so we can't make anything off of it. But that's okay. Google Shields. I want to spread the word, um, but uh, so I'm going to do it. I already have a controller, but I could use another one. Um, you know, I, I got the Founders controller, which is a uh, deep blue with orange uh, sticks, which I actually really like that color scheme. But I'll probably get a black, uh, black one here um, with with my pre-order because everyone who pre-orders it gets it. So even people who already have it, which is awesome. So I think they're just trying to get them out there and uh, you know into people's hands because once people have tried it and realized it, then it's it's a whole it's a game changer. Uh, really, literally, yeah, game changer. <laughs> Change the All game. Right. Why don't we go ahead and get into this uh, first part of the show? We like to call. Do we call it Human Factors News? I don't even know, but it's Human Factors News. Yes, we call it Human Factors News. It's, that's what it's labeled in the show notes, so we do call it. Uh, anyway, this is the part of the show where we search all over the, the internet to bring you topic of Human Factors news stories, things like that. It could be anything. Uh, we got some automation and aviation this week. Blake, what do we have up this week? Up this week, like Nick said, we got automation and aviation. So the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society has applauded the FAA or the Federal Aviation Administration Administrator Steve Dickinson's order that returns the Boeing 737 MAX to service following the fatal Lion Air Flight 610 and Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 crashes last year and the aircraft's subsequent grounding. The Lion Air and Ethiopian Airline crashes were the latest in a long string of accidents caused by insufficient attention to automation reliability and pilot understanding of automated systems in aircraft design. Back in 2019, Dr. Micah Inslee, HFES's Government Relations Committee Chair, had testified before the U.S. House of Representatives in a hearing that examined the FAA's oversight of, of the aircraft certification. And Dr. Inslee's testimony had focused on how human factors engineering should be applied and prioritized in the design and development of all civilian and military aircraft systems, and how those standards had clearly not been followed in the design and certification of the 737 MAX. HFES has strongly supported legislation to address not only specific failures associated with Lion Air and Ethiopian Airlines crashes, but also other issues related to human factors use of automation across the board. The society is, of course, monitoring the efforts uh, by Congress to seek to restore the FAA's oversight mechanisms, requiring human factors design and testing throughout aircraft systems development and certification, and to further promote a strong safety culture at all aircraft manufacturers. That's funny. We have an HFM that's about safety culture. Uh, But Nick, coming up. 
Yeah, this it's been a while since we've revisited the 737 Max issues, but this is kind of incredible for our field as a whole because we're seeing, yeah. you know, human factors at such a high level like outside of just, you know, doing system design for aviation. I mean, this is like coming from a government level that we need human factors. Yeah, so uh this is this is a cool story. I I want to talk about this kind of holistically. We haven't actually talked about the 737 Max on the show all that much. Um, I think we may have mentioned it in passing, but I, I don't think we ever actually did an article proper on it. And I think we we were waiting for this to actually resolve itself and kind of talk about this uh, from start to finish. So we'll we'll get into like what actually happened with the Boeing 737 um, and what they're doing to fix it. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about briefly this HFES Government Relations Committee chair. So uh, way back when, I guess it was like 2018, when we were talking to Kermit, um, who was the president-elect at the time, I believe. Anyway, he was trying to get us to uh, have a conversation with Micah Ensley about being the Government Relations Committee chair. And we did have that conversation, and you can find that on our on our feed. Um, you know, it's it was at HFES 2018. Um, we actually talked to her about being the government uh, relations committee chair and how our role in kind of expressing the importance of human factors to uh, the United States government is is a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, so to have representation at the table to basically come to uh, these hearings and and to provide testimony on what makes um, human factors important and what could potentially impact um, you know smart design or human factors engineering in the future is is a major win for our field. Um, so let's let's highlight that that is incredibly important. Um, so I I don't know, man. Like, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I think it's just kind of a incredible step. I I guess in the right direction, because uh, I feel like in in recent years past, like we don't necessarily get the best representation at at this high of a level. Um, and I I really think that when it comes to not only things that put a lot of risk for people's lives. So like aircraft design, but also like the design and implications that automation is going to have at a very deep level. It's, it's just like the more that people that have a human factors background are required for certification or for advising system development, the better off we're going to be in terms of the ecosystem we develop around automation and technology. Yeah, I agree. So this is, this is what I mentioned at the, at the banter section was why I was on C-SPAN. I was actually looking up this presentation uh, that Dr. Ensley gave, and uh, we'll have a link for that uh, in our Slack. We'll also put it in the description uh, of this episode so you can go and see it for yourself. She highlights some of the importance of, uh, you know, designing for humans and not just, you know, willy-nilly throwing in. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, but basically just throwing in systems and expect the operator to understand them. Um, so I, again, we haven't really talked about the issues with the 737 Max on the show, so I wanted to take an opportunity to just kind of back up and revisit these and actually link it together with some of the stories that we talked about recently uh, on the show, as far as I think a month back. Anyway, uh, what actually caused the 737 Max to crash was this whole issue with the MCAS system. As as far as I know, um, you know, the, basically what happened is this kind of, uh, 
automation misunderstanding. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase some sentences here. Um, but basically that automation was doing exactly as it was told to do. Uh, the problem with that is that the safety system was more complex than the pilot was expecting. And it behaved in a way that was potentially, you know, caught the pilot off guard. Um, so, you know, what, what this system actually is here is, um, is uh, it, it's called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, um, and it was introduced with the MAX model. So this MCAS is located nor- to, towards the nose of the aircraft. It senses the trajectory of the plane, and it will correct the flight path uh, in order to move safely into oncoming wind. Um, so what can happen is if these things are poorly maintained, these sensors... Um, can basically limit the system or or lead the system to think that the plane was traveling sharply upward. Um, And, and this is kind of known as exceeding the angle of attack, right? The angle at which, you know, oncoming air flows over the plane. So when the plane exceeds that angle, it no longer flies. uh, The wind no longer flows over the wing. um, And that's what keeps it airborne, right? So the plane tries to correct its flight path, um, incorrectly because the sensor is is you know getting that information wrong uh and then it nosedived into the ground um and so um you know it, it comes down to the pilots not understanding what they were looking at um with the uh with the displays definitely yeah i mean it, it really brings in that problem that I think we face a lot or I definitely feel like I've faced it in my job and multiple avenues of things I've worked on over the past five six years is how do you translate automation into because I think a lot of us understand and for those that don't a lot of the goal with automation is not necessarily to take an operator all the way out of the loop but it's to remove some of the maybe some vigilance tasking or anything like that just to make their job a little bit easier but I it can be very easily I think overshot where you're you're implementing some technological solution that provides a lot of value from like an engineering perspective maybe but if there's if the implementation is too fast and there's not enough training or there's not enough thought that's gone into the system design from a, like an HMI or U, UI perspective if you will you can just have a mix match between a user trying to understand in a like con- contested situation what is actually going on with in this case my aircraft or whatever it may be yeah, so so to kind of recap some of the key issues here, so there's that loss, uh, there's automation confusion, which we talked about in the F, uh, F, we t- <laughs> we talked about it in that other episode a couple months ago. Was it the F thirty five or was it? I think the it, F- yeah, I think it was the F thirty five. Yeah, F thirty five. Uh, I guess that was a month ago. Um, yeah, so episode one eighty two. If you're listening and want to go back for some homework. Um, there's the automation confusion aspect. There's that loss of situational awareness of what's going on. Um, And then there's also kind of lack of what's going on with that automation, right? The display uh, transparency of what the system is doing. And then there was the, the inadequacy of training and to, to go on the training point, the, uh, the manual for the 737 actually only mentions MCAS one time. Um, So it might be that, you know, the, there wasn't enough mention of it in the book. Um, but but so all that kind of contributed to what's going on here. Um, and I guess what we can uh, 
really talk about is what is going to be the change uh, going forward, right? Um, you know, I, I mean, we can we can draw parallels to that uh, F-35 crash here. I, I would like to do that before we actually say what's, what they're going to be doing going forward because I feel like a lot of these issues can still um, sort of be resolved in that instance as well, and there's a lot we can learn about human factors in aviation going forward. Um, but let's draw the parallels here. So um, there's automation confusion, right? So that in that F-35 story, so I'll kind of recap just for the folks who didn't listen to that episode. But for in that story, the pilot was coming in, and then as he was coming in, the, I, I believe um, you know the the nose was pushed or uh, down. Right? Was the nose pushed down? Yeah. I go back and were, look at the notes, but yeah, because there was basically like the the there was a lot of similar variables, or at least that's that's kind of how I'm interpreting it. Because it was an angle of attack problem. Uh, shooting an approach at what appeared to be at a normal speed for the pilot, but it ended up being too fast because of an automated system underlying um, what was going on at the time. And it, uh, as far as I under- remember, there was basically shooting an approach. It's too steep. Hit. He basically hits the runway a bit and almost flips the aircraft and and does flip the aircraft over, if I remember right. And it. Yeah. It, it had a little bit more to it, but I, I think that that's a, a, a good kind of summation and thing to think about is like there was contextual factors. And in this case, on top of pilot fatigue and just flying in a different uh, kind of environment or time of day, there was also added to the automation confusion was this issue that existed with, I, I think it was the heads up display, not not yeah. being like the most usable thing. But it's it is yeah. interesting here that we are seeing kind of an issue with a similar type of system, but also with automation, like transparency for a pilot to figure out what's going on and in enough time to avoid an issue. Yeah. So, um, so just to kind of um, hammer that home, there were a, a slew of other issues with the F-35 landing that happened, right? There were, there was controls, there was HMD, there was oxygen system, there was mental fatigue going on. Um, and you know, and there was even pilot distraction, but really what we're talking here about is like that automation confusion or control logic where, um, you know, as, as, uh, the pilot was coming in with the F-35s, uh, story, the stick inputs, uh, fell out of sync with the air, aircraft's pitch oscillations and control cycles um and so they basically glitched the control system which meant the uh the stabilizers were deflected down and locked um which pushed the nose down in the f-35 case um so you know same kind of nose down issue with with systems uh overcorrecting and forcing the nose down um in in both stories so i think that's where we draw the parallels um, but I'd like to talk about what they're doing going forward because I, I, I really like the changes that they're going to make. Um, so they're going to actually revamp the um, the MCAS tech. Uh, so I don't know exactly what that entails, and they'll probably make the sensor less likely, or, you know, to where uh, maintenance is less of an issue uh, if it's poorly maintained, um, hopefully. Um, they're they're changing the pilot displays around this automation as well, and they're also changing the operation manuals. Like I said, it was only mentioned one time in there, so um, you know, hopefully that will provide something. And then they're also changing training, and you can't change everything through one medium, especially training. Right? People always throw or 
least it's true in government, throw more training at it, it'll fix the problem, doesn't. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see that they are approaching this from a variety of different human factors avenues where they're, you know, revamping the technology. They're looking at the pilot displays and going to redesign those to be more effective. Um, and I, I guess most of this is already done if they just got approved to, to launch off, although I, I'm not yeah. sure. I would imagine um, it would have to be or at least yeah. like so enough of like a subset of it is finished and put sure. through to be able to put this thing back in the air. Yeah, but then you're also talking about the the training materials and also um, any reference material for it too. So so um, you know the the new flight control law kind of incorporates those angle of attack inputs. It limit it limits the stabilizer trim commands uh, in a response to um, erroneous angle of attack reading, uh, and provides a limit to stabilizer command in order to retain elevator authority. So a lot of gibberish for saying the automation is kind of less aggressive <laughs> i guess um you know it i i think a lot of these changes will help um obviously there's still a lot to learn about aviation human factors and there always will be especially with um incorporating automated systems into these designs um especially ones that are meant to save lives and not take lives um so you know i think the 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 moral of the story here is that human factors has a really important role. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's easy to sit here and joke about our importance in society because no one takes us seriously sometimes. Um, but you know, this is, this is an example where it really does matter. Uh, we, you know, talk to the high, one of the highest forms of government in the United States and, uh, you know, human factors being there at the table, made a difference in the way that this problem was approached and ultimately fixed, we hope. Yeah, you just kind of hope that it it pans out across the rest of, you know, the aviation space, right? Like whether it's autonomous vehicles or if it's designed for the next F-35 or commercial aircraft, because like I, I think even though the parallels are different in a lot of ways and happy to admit that between the F-35 in this case, I still think it does highlight that kind of systemic problem that we have to deal with, especially as human factors individuals and in advocating for our place at the table um, but ensuring that across design of systems that impact, you know, not just one or two people, but can be commercially used. It's really just important to either have the knowledge and expertise at the table to, you know, help make automation des decisions or help with decision support training, that kind of stuff. So it's a it's a really cool time in, in like 2020 to feel like human factors is really uh coming to a place of its own in the world, like higher than it has been in the past, I think. I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you to our friends over at Newswise for our news story this week and C-SPAN for providing excellent uh, video controls. <laughs> Able to clip that uh, clip. Uh, if you want to follow along, we do post the links to our original articles in our Slack as we find them. So join us over there for more discussion. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. 
All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Okay, and we're back. Uh, Blake, we got to talk about Human Factors Minute because we, you know why we had to talk about Human Factors Minute? Why do we have to talk about Human Factors Minute? Because it's not in that commercial. You're not going to hear oh, about it in that commercial. That's right, yeah. We trick you. We put, the, we put the audio for the commercial there for our Patreon, and then we talk about Patreon some more. So even if you skip the commercial, it's still us talking about it. See, we tricked you. It's Human Factors. It's Dark Patterns. It's Dark Patterns. It's Human Factors <laughs> cast. No, I think this is really cool. So we talked about over the last month, we talked about human performance modeling that just came out on Tuesday. We talked about, uh, we started our Chernobyl mini series. Uh, so that's fun. Um, we talked about driver distraction and uh, the, the human factors and ergonomic society technical group of computer systems. So that was what happened over the last month. Um, we love talking about human factors minute. It's a ton of fun to put those together. Uh, and actually we came out with a couple from this news story. So um a couple of years down the line, be on the lookout for that one because uh, we are we do have a ton of them in the bank, um, and we are always producing more. Uh, so that way, there is a consistent stream of good stuff for you on our Patreon. We are always trying to update those rewards and make sure that they are uh, worth their value, but also you know know that you are supporting the show whenever you do that. Uh, whenever you support us on Patreon. All that stuff goes right back into the show. It goes into the equipment that we use to record, um, the hard drives that we use to store all of our episodes on, the website hosting, the SoundCloud hosting, all that stuff. It goes into all that. Um, you know, we don't really see a dime from it. So uh, other than putting it back into the show, because we just want it to be the best it can be. Um, yeah, with that, I think we got to get into uh, switching gears here. Get into uh, this next part of the show. That came from... It came from Yeah, it came from Reddit this week. We're back with Reddit. Uh, and why is that? Because, well, we haven't heard from you. And that's okay. There's not a whole lot of questions going on right now. And that's fine. We had a good run with a couple weeks, just one after the other from our Slack. So if you have questions, shoot them at us in Slack. We'll prioritize those. We love those. Uh, but we do have a great one this week. This is posted by uh, Indigo Girl. Um and this is on the UX subreddit, but this is very relevant for human factors as well. And, and you know, we look all over the Internet for these things. So this, the question this week is, what are good government websites or apps in your country? And I also felt like this really tied in well with the 737 Max and hearing about government testimony and all that stuff. Um, so we're looking for resources and references about good UX and government products for any country. Do you have examples or websites and apps that you use and are helpful? Um, so Blake and I, uh, are in the United States, no surprise there from our accents, but, um, you know, we, we, uh, so our focus is going to be kind of from the U S side of things. If you have resources from any other country, please let us know. We'd be happy to, um, you know, kind of talk about this next week. Uh, and as a, like a follow up to this, if you have any great, um, sort of, uh, 
reliable websites on in, in different countries. We'd love to hear you hear from you there because you know for us as uh, defense contractors, it's all um, it's all uh, what like U.S. government stuff. So Blake, what 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 kind of resources you got? So I pulled two, and I I kind of kept them in the vein of UX and design because uh, I know Nick's got some more standards for that are more on the human factor side of the house. But I've got two. So the first one up is I've got 18F's UI style guide here. Um, so this 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 group has been around for a while, um, and they just have done a really nice job of kind of bringing you know, together development and design similar to how you would have like with a material design uh, website for, you know, like Google's kind of design system where you can look through design components, read rationale for how they're used and see examples, and then also pull the code as a developer if you would like to. Um, so the 18 FUI style guide is laid out in a very similar way. Really good for kind of, if you're building something government-based, it's a nice library to start from. And there's like a, a nice kind of development ecosystem that surrounds it. Another one that is very, very similar uh, to 18F is the U.S. United States Web Design System or USWDS. So this is a little bit more intensive than just the 18F because this actually brings in some website standards that are written by the U.S. government um, as kind of like, you know, a little bit of extra background similar to what you get from material design with like color theory background. This is more for, you know, how these standards were written, where the logic came from. Um, it even has kind of video tutorials attached to it on how to use some of this content. Um, and like, like a lot of different design systems, you'll have design principles, components, and then in this case, again, there's a nice integration with development where you can go directly to the GitHub from the home website, make a pull and start using it right away. So they're just nice. They're both two nice design systems that really fit, you know, government needs and kind of laws we have to abide by for accessibility and take into account some pretty good design aesthetic and decisions that are made to support government products um but nick what did what did you bring for uh for this reddit story that's a great question what did i bring so i brought usability.gov uh this is a website for um you know it's like a good starting point for a lot of folks um, who may have heard of ux or heard of human factors and don't quite understand uh, what kind of tools are at your disposal. There's a lot of different tools on this website. Um, it also gives a good rundown of why usability. Um, it's organized okay, and it has a lot of great resources for you. I know I've used uh, templates off of this website more than once. Um, so it's it's definitely a good resource. Uh, obviously, you can improve and enhance upon a lot of the things on the website if you pull it down and you know tailor it to your project. Uh, or, or whatever you're working on. Um, but, you know, I would highly recommend usability.gov. And then the other thing I have here um, is not exactly a website, but it's it's a resource uh, from the military. And this is the style guide, or sorry, the military, mill standard. Um, uh, it is uh, basically, well, what mill standard is this? This is 1472, I think. Um so this is actually, we'll put links to all this stuff in the description below, so that way you have access to all this. But this MIL standard, uh, waiting patiently, is, uh, yeah, MIL standard 1472 revision G, 
Um, this is actually a uh, full guide for um, how to uh, basically how how to human factors for humans. Um, it is very <laughs> like I don't know how else to put it. Um, it is a a massive um, human engineering design criteria uh, document that has um, a ton of different system system shall statements in it. It's got uh, recommendations for how to approach certain projects. Um, I'm just quickly skimming through this, like what what types of things are in it, um, and you know y- you can find. Um, it's definitely of- a one-top stop shop for like standardized guidance, um, especially when it's when you're talking about like government style systems. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely packed full of like basically everything you can think of, and um, you know we know some of the folks that worked on it, and it's it's a, a lot of time and effort went into this. Um, so you can definitely rest assured that the appropriate research behind it. You know, it's got ergonomics in it. It's got. Um, everything from ergonomics to controls to, um, you know, bell curves of, of, uh, controllers and actuation, all that stuff. It's, it's all in there. I'm skimming through, obviously you can tell, uh, but there's a lot of really valuable resources in there. If you do a quick find in the document, you can most certainly find what you need. Um, you know, and, uh, it's, it's definitely worth your time to at least, um, check it out. So, uh, yeah, like I said, mill standard 1472. Uh, I think we're on revision G now, just got approved. Um, so check that out. And uh, that's that's really all the resources I have. The other things I wanted to bring up here, so um, reading through this re- uh, Reddit thread here, there's, um, you know, uh, gov.uk, somebody says, use the accessibility part. Uh, there's also the... European Commission website. Uh, I can't vouch for any of these. These are just what other people are saying. Um, and then there's also uh, the, let's see here, the Service NSW app and website. So that's uh, South Wales. Um, you know, uh, so so they got, I, I again, I can't vouch for everything, but I'm just briefly looking here. Uh, but apparently those are some pretty good resources from outside the U.S. too. We want to hear from you. What are your resources if you are outside the U.S.? Uh, because there's a lot of good stuff that we can um, pull out from, you know, learn from our friends all over the world. Yeah, um, it might be the right stuff, they may say. <laughs> might even be the right stuff. Uh, all right, Blake, anything else? No, I really liked that because I I don't under, I didn't know the context for it, but it's been a long time since I've dove into what what exists out there for like the user experience perspective for design and development of systems. And there's actually some really cool documentation. So thanks for the question, and really stoked to actually dive into some of this stuff and contribute to one of these repos. Yes, me too. So cool. All right, well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. What do you think about the 747 Max? Is it enough? Can they do more? What do you think about Human Factors' as representation at, at the highest levels of government? Uh, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at HFactors Podcast. If you'd like to get to us directly, you can do that at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to figure out what you're looking at in the aisles of Costco? 
Y'all can always figure out what I'm doing in Costco if you follow me anywhere on social media at Don't Panic UX, or if you ping me in Slack, I'll send you a picture of what I'm looking at at Costco. <laughs> As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.